While they were listening to this, he, Jesus, went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came to him and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Well, the new year is now up and running. School starts back this coming week. Life seems to be back into the full swing. The whole Christmas break is over and the year is underway, whether you like it or not. So have you made any New Year's resolutions? Have you got a list of things that you're planning on doing or trying to achieve this year? I mean, everyone has that, you know, eat better, lose weight, get fit thing. Everyone does that. Maybe you're going to try and learn a new skill. Maybe play the piano or learn a language or something. Maybe travel's part of your agenda for this year. Or reducing debt or increasing your financial base. Maybe you've got those things down as your plans for the year. Well, the parable that we're looking at today is going to help us to perhaps reshape the goals that we have for the year. Whenever Jesus told one of the parables, there was always a purpose behind it. Something had happened, something had led up to it. The reason Jesus tells the the parable is there somewhere in the text. And that's definitely the case with the text that we're looking at today. Have a look at it, chapter 19, verse number 11. The, The setting, the reason for this parable is glaringly obvious. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry on earth. He's approaching Jerusalem and he's approaching the place where he will die on the cross. The story is reaching a climax. 
This is where it's been heading the whole way through Luke's gospel. Uh, Right from early on in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us Jesus is heading to Jerusalem because that will be the climax of his ministry. All the gospel writers knew that. They knew that what was at the heart of what Jesus came to do was the stuff that happens in Jerusalem. The very fact that the gospels devote so many chapters to that one week in Jerusalem is a pretty clear indication of that. Let me let me show you what I mean. This little chart has one one block, one little blue square for every week of the life of Jesus. Now, in Luke's gospel, he devotes eighteen chapters, seventy five percent of his gospel to those blue squares, and he devotes twenty five percent of his gospel to that one last week in Jesus's life when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem and the travelling party are starting to think, this is it. It's all going to happen. This is where it's all going to take place. So they've joined the dots. Jerusalem is the city of the king, the place where God's Messiah will take the throne and establish God's kingdom. Now, they've seen what Jesus has done. They've seen his miracles. They've heard his teaching. They know this is it. Jesus is determined to get to Jerusalem. It can only mean one thing, or so they think. And I suppose they're probably right. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to do something big. He's going there to die on the cross. He's going there to defeat sin and death. But the kingdom won't be completely established then. Jesus will go away and when he returns, then the kingdom will be finally established. Now, Jesus is aware of the misguided expectations of his travelling party. So, this is the parable that's going to correct their understanding and help them understand some important things about the kingdom as well. It's a simple story about a man who goes away to be made king somewhere else and he's going to return. But while he's gone, he entrusts miners' wealth to his servants, called the servants together and gave each of them, in this parable, he gives each of them one miner. Roughly three months' wages is what's been entrusted to them. And they're clearly to use what's been entrusted to them to serve the king in his absence. Now, we're also told very briefly about this other group, the subjects who don't want the nobleman to become king. That's those who seem to reject Jesus outright. They send a delegation after the nobleman to say, we don't want this guy as our king, but it's a fairly pointless exercise because irrespective of what they think, this man will become king. Just because they don't like the idea that he's king doesn't make them any less, doesn't make them any less his subjects, nor him any less their king. And look at what it says in verse 15. It says, he was made king, however, and he returned home. The objections of the subjects are dismissed pretty quickly, not even entered into. They couldn't stop him being appointed as king and they couldn't stop him from returning. 
Now, when the newly crowned king returns home, he calls in the servants to give an account of how they've handled what was entrusted to them. First servant comes to him, he's managed a good return on what was entrusted to him. He was given that one minor, he returns to the king, 10 minors. And notice really carefully what the king says. Well done, my good servant, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Second servant comes, he had one miner, he returns five miners to the king. And again, the king rewards him. Third servant is brought in. This is the guy who's done nothing with the miner that was entrusted to him. This is the guy who wrapped it in a hanky and put it in the sock drawer just behind the potpourri. I mean, he just tucked this away and wasn't planning on doing anything with it, just keeping it safely hidden. There is no reward for him. In fact, the one coin that he did have is taken off him and given to the one who had ten. And we're also told that the subjects who have rejected the king are now rejected by the king in the most emphatic way. Now, it's not too hard to see what Jesus is getting at with all of this, is it? I mean, Jesus is the one who's going away to be made king and the servants, well, they're his disciples, those who want him as king and those who are going to serve him as king while he's gone. But remember the setting. He went on to tell them the parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Lesson number one, the kingdom of God is not going to appear at once, Jesus wants to explain to his travelling party. The kingdom will be established completely when Jesus returns. It will be at his second coming that the kingdom will be established. Now, if that had been the only point of the parable, it would have been a much shorter parable. It just would have been about a nobleman who went away, became king and then came back, full stop. But there's way more to this parable, isn't there? Because it's not just about the king, it's about you and me and the disciples of Jesus. Jesus not only wants to tell us what he is doing, he wants to tell us what we should be doing while we wait for him to come again. So the question that Jesus wants to ask is, how will you be found when I return? Now again, I want you to notice that important thing that the king says to that first servant. Verse 17. These are important words. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. He commends him for his trustworthiness. He commends him for being faithful. That's the other word that you could put in that place. He's not commending them for their cleverness. He's not commending them for economic skills. He's not commending them for being great business people. He's commending them for being trustworthy with what was entrusted to them. It's not the size of the return that matters. One gave 10 times what had been given to him. Another gave five times. It's the fact that they were trustworthy with what they did have. So here's the challenge for us. If we are servants of the king, if we are waiting for Jesus to return, 
How trustworthy are you being while you wait for Jesus to come again? How are you using what the king has entrusted to you? I suppose it begs the question, doesn't it? What has Jesus entrusted to me? I mean, what what is my minor? Well, I think the Bible says there's a few answers to that question. As people who trust in Jesus, we've been given gifts and abilities to be able to serve the king. There's about four or five places in the pages of the New Testament where those gifts are actually listed off. Here's a, a little compilation of the gifts passages in the pages of the New Testament from Romans, 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. Now, I don't think the Bible ever wants to give us an exhaustive list of what those gifts are because they can be a whole bunch of things, ranging from the more miraculous things to what would appear to be very ordinary and mundane things. Gifts have been given to each person here. If you belong to the king, then the king has given you gifts and abilities that you can use in his service. But it goes beyond those gifts. Because I think the Bible also says everything you've got has been entrusted to you by God. Everything that you have has come to you as a blessing from God. And we're to serve Jesus with everything that we have. You know that verse in the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? I think you can also chuck in there and your resources and your time and your bank balance. Because all of them have been given to you by God. And you should be using them to serve him. So what might that look like for you? Well, it might mean something as simple as coming along and helping out with morning tea at music and playtime. Might be knowing that there's somebody in church here who's doing it tough and you could take them out for a coffee or take them out to lunch. Might be that you support financially the, the missionaries that are connected to our church or even support the work of the church itself. Might be that you give up your Wednesday afternoon or your Friday morning to teach a scripture class might be that you use the spare bedroom in your house to help somebody out who's maybe not doing so well. Maybe that you take time to go and join the ladies at Park Patrol to make sandwiches for homeless people who are living in the inner city. Might be that you use your financial skills to become the treasurer of the church here. Might be that you just cook a meal for somebody. See, in the end... It's not so much about what you do. It's not about the thing that you do. It's about the mindset that you have. It's about knowing that the gifts that you've been given, the resources at your disposal, are there to serve the king. And we need to be faithful and trustworthy with the things that have been entrusted to us. Now, again, it's really important to remember that they're commended for their faithfulness. It's not about comparing yourself to other people. It's not about thinking, well, I do way more than them or thinking I could never do what they do. That's not the issue. It's about you being trustworthy with what's been entrusted to you. It's about being faithful with what you've got, the gifts, the abilities, the resources that have been entrusted to you. So here's the take-home message. This year is just getting underway. Why not make this a year when you work on your trustworthiness with the things that have been entrusted to you? 
Ask yourself, am I being trustworthy with the things that God has entrusted to me? The gifts, the abilities, the resources that I have. Am I using what I have to serve my king? 